Good evening, Kaya family. Um, I am so glad that we have this opportunity to share together uh, here in this Kaya experience. I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, Kaya is normally the last Wednesday of the month, um, but due to the holidays and due to the nature of our discussion today, uh, myself and the team decided to move it up a couple of weeks just so that we can have this discussion uh, right before the holidays because I know uh, what we're going to discuss impacts a lot of us. Um, and I want to be sure that you all have the proper tips um, to grieve well. So intro, I, I want to thank you for joining us tonight for our Good Grief, Kaya. Uh, we have an amazing night planned, and I want to just jump right in in prayer and get ready to introduce our panelists. So if we could all just gather our hearts and minds and let us pray um, for God's blessing on tonight. Uh, loving God, our creator, we thank you. Uh, for allowing us not only into this space, but into your space. Uh, for we know that this day would not be possible without your grace and without your mercy. Um, so God, while we are here, we just ask a special blessing amongst our panelists. Uh, we ask that you just uh, touch the hearts of those uh, who we know need to hear this word tonight. Um, God, we thank you. We love you and we adore you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, Kaya family, I want to get ready to introduce our panelists. Um, our first panelist of the night um, is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Leela Ellis Nelson, from, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. She is a graduate, uh, 2009 graduate uh, of the University of Toledo with a bachelor's degree in psychology. Uh, she has a master's in clinical counseling from the Chicago, Chicago School of Professional Psychology in which she earned in 2012 and in 2015. Uh, she was or awarded her doctorate in clinical psychology uh, from the Chicago School. Uh, her training uh, crosses various different paths uh, with a diverse clientele um, from various settings, including King's Coll uh, King, uh, Kennedy King, King College, uh, as well as Northwestern University, Baldwin, uh, Bowling Green State University, Harper College. Um, she has uh, several passions, but her passion for this topic is shown uh, and it's evident through her dissertation, uh, which is titled The Effects of Internalized Racism and Family Values on Higher Education Degree Attainment for African-Americans. That's a mouthful, but that was her dissertation. Um, and it focuses on the socio-political, uh, familial, and academic support that many African-American children and young adults face. Um, she, as a clinical psychologist, her work orients uh, with Greek therapy, geek therapy, I'm sorry, systems, uh, reality therapy, and interpersonal process therapy lens. Uh, each specialization speaks to its openness uh, to meet clients where they where they are uh, and in the moment and help them actualize their full potential throughout the course of therapy and or consultation. Um, so family, you see her there. This is my friend, Dr. Leela Ellis Nelson, uh, who is here with us tonight. 
Um, our next panelist is no stranger to us. He is a friend. He's a brother beloved. He is uh, a Kaya faithful, and we definitely appreciate him uh, and his presence anytime uh, that we encounter each other. And it is my guy, Mr. Jay Hayes. Uh, Jay Hayes was born and raised in Mendenhall, Mississippi, uh, <laughs> uh, where he, uh, he, uh, he has an earned Bachelor of Arts in Spanish and Education from the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, in 2016, he moved to Charlotte, North Carolina uh, to pursue his Master of Arts in Christian Counseling from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, he is a licensed mental health counselor associate of the state of North Carolina and is currently uh, seeing clients in an independent practice. Uh, Jay has a strong interest in social justice and diversity, and his professional interests include care and outreach, mental health advocacy, social justice, nonprofit management, uh, leadership and development, diversity, and inclusion um, for minority populations. Everybody, again, y'all all know him. Let's give my man Jay Hayes some love. Thank you. The next one, uh, the next panelist is my sister. She is my Virginia Union sister. She is my Colgate Rochester Crozer sister. Um, none other than the Reverend Dr. Uh, Jamie F. Eady, who is a womanist pastoral theologian, uh, uh, a lost navigation specialist, something that she trademarked. Uh, she is a death doula. She is an author. She is a chaplain. And one of my favorite side traits about her is that she's a poet. Um, I love good poetry. And uh, over the last 20 years of experience, um, she has provided direct support and, advocate and, and, uh, and advocated for survivors of abuse. She founded I Just Believe in 2018. Uh, and she founded that because she realized that many churches were either uninformed, unable, or just unwilling um, to speak about topics like child abuse, intimate partner violence, uh, addiction, mental wellness. And all of those topics are very important to her, which led to her founding the I Just Believe organization. She is also the CEO of Thoughtful Transitions LLC and provides a holistic support uh, to individuals and communities uh, navigating their way through trauma, uh, grief, and loss. Uh, she also serves as a death doula um, with specialties in sudden loss, traumatic loss, and end-of-life care. Uh, however, that's just not all her work. Uh, her, her work does not completely surround death. She helps people all navigate all kinds of loss, uh, which includes loss of relationship, loss of identity, loss of normalcy, which all of us have seemed to loss over these last seven or eight months. Um, she navigates all kinds of loss and she uh, hosts a monthly, uh, a monthly uh, grief cafe um, that promotes community healing. She is also the founder of the Remembering Station, an organization that helps individuals and communities curate radically uh, inclusive healing spaces where people can learn to cultivate life-sustaining wellness practices. Again, she has an earned doctorate from Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School in Rochester, New York, as she is an associate minister of the St. Paul's Baptist Church in Philadelphia and also serves as a chaplain of the Albert Einstein Medical Center. Uh, again, this is a sister of mine, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Eady. 
And last up is our host for tonight. Um, <laughs> native, my home girl, uh, Lakeisha Williams. She is an entrepreneur. She is an author. She is an inspirational coach. And I promise if you talk to her, she will read you like the phone book. Um, but it is great, though, because I absolutely loved it. In one conversation with her, um, I knew that I, there were some things that I just definitely needed to work on. And she has a way of pulling those things out um, to help you see the inner you and help you see that there is a possibility um, where you can be better. Uh, she is an entrepreneur of 20 years uh, and recently widowed. She wants to teach other families um, how to protect not only their family, but their assets. Um, she has a career in financial services, which opened doors to, uh, for her to begin uh, to pursue some other things. And after speaking with her mentor and wrapping up her uh, career in recruiting, she knew that it was time to get her license and begin the next step of her financial journey uh, in the financial industry. Um, and I will tell you that her vision has no limits. Uh, she has grown from major setbacks and always looks forward to meeting others, wherever they are, be it just in their life journey and or financially uh, to help them get to their next destination. Um, she also helps individuals and families as well as small businesses create strategies around financial risk and the building of generational wealth, uh, something that we all need to be paying attention to. Uh, she feels rewarded by walking alongside her clients uh, as they plan for their future. Um, and in all of that, she has built three solid business foundations from the ground up, uh, one of them featured on ESPN, another one uh, featured on Sports Illustrated, and those have led to many more opportunities to expand her network and to help other entrepreneurs handle their business and increase their clientele as well as their potential assets. Um, mm -hmm. A personal note for Lakeisha, uh, she is originally from Ohio. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my girl. We, she's from <laughs> Ohio. Um, and actually graduated from the high school that I attended back home. Uh, uh, so we have a lot of ties and she is a huge advocate for living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, she is a personal trainer, a track and field coach. Uh, and she also has a lot of involvement in her sorority, to which I love the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, she is also involved in the LeBron James Family Foundation uh, and International Family Fitness Foundation. And outside of all of those extracurricular activities, um, she has two amazing children with her late spouse, uh, her children, Kennedy and Kingston, um, and they love their dog dearly. Uh, I cannot remember the, the, the what type of dog it is, but I know the dog's name is Chase, and I think that's important to notice. Um, so, family, uh, I am going to get out the way and let this amazing conversation get ready to shake shape and take form and, um, you know, really sit back, sit in your tent doors uh, and be prayerful and hear from God about what's going to happen tonight. Uh, Lakeisha, the floor is all yours. Thank you so much. Um, I just I want to thank you, um, Reverend McNeil, just for your vision um, and, and trusting this opportunity uh, in our hands. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Scott, his lovely wife, Masora, and um, his beautiful daughter, just for allowing us to use our gifts, right? I want to thank the St. Paul family um, and Masora Deb. Man, she keeps us all together. And of course, our panelists. My goodness, what a mouthful. We've got a...
this uh, <laughs> on on the the screen tonight, guys. So I want to thank all of you that are viewing with us. Ask questions. Let's make this an interactive conversation. Um, don't hold anything back. Even if you need to ask things for your loved one, mm -hmm. ask those questions. Okay, we have a lot of wisdom here. So let's get started um, because we have a lot to cover in, in less than an hour. Um, I wanted to start by just simply going around and giving us a snapshot of kind of what you do and how you're connected, how that's connected to grief, right? Because I know we have a lot of experience on the line, but I'd like us to be able to relate to those who's watching um, and just share a little bit about how you're connected or your life has been connected to grief. Um, let's start with ladies first. I'm going to start with Dr. Eden, please. Um, first of all, I echo all of your uh, thank you. So I won't go through all of the names again, but um, thank you for, for giving us this opportunity. Um, so how am I connected to grief? What are some of the things that I do? Um, one, I serve as a chaplain. Um, I have served as a hospice chaplain, and I currently serve as a hospital chaplain I'm in a level one trauma center. And so I often meet people when they are experiencing a very high spiritual and emotional distress, often centered around um, loss or impending loss. Um, but I'm also a death doula um, and a loss navigation specialist. So outside of the hospital, I am encountering people usually when they or their loved one are approaching end of life. Um, and so approaching end of life, there is going to be, um, going to be grief that, uh, that we experience. And, and not, not just end of life, right? So as, as Marco mentioned, just the loss, the loss period. So in terms of that loss navigation piece, um, when people are ending relationships, so divorce, um, dealing, I have a, a group that, that serves women who have had hysterectomies and women who have had, um, who have had, excuse me, have lost children. So that is end of life, but who have lost children in the childbearing process. Right. So I have that group that I support as well. So any kind of loss that people are experiencing, this pandemic when people could not go outside, I did support groups for people who were felt like they were losing their minds because they could not leave the home. Uh -huh. um, so uh -huh. I interact people in all of those, all of those spaces. So not just loss of life, which yeah. of course brings about all kinds of, of emotion, but we encounter grief there, but all kinds of other losses, especially in terms of the death duel or end of life duel piece that I see yeah. as well, um, that often brings up grief, not because just because the person is nearing end of life, but because of a whole bunch of other things that bring up grief when you are dealing with an end of life situation. So that's what okay, I think. Perfect. Um, okay, uh, Dr. Um, Leela, <laughs> I, I wanted to know exactly how everyone wanted to be referred to, and I, I, I just love calling her Dr. Leela. Um, so if you could share with us just a little bit your connection, even if it's um, what you experienced personally, um, if you've had any uh, personal grief, and um, what your connection is. Of course. Um, again, I'm going to be on the ditto train when it comes to all the thank yous and the appreciation for just allowing me to the, the space this evening. But when it comes to personal connection to grief, 
one of the primary sources was my miscarriage that I had when I was working on my postdoc back in 2015. And that one felt especially unique to me because I was one of five pregnant women in the office at the time. But then at one point I came to work and everybody else still had their baby and I was dealing with the loss of my tiny human. And so it was that continual reminder as well that what I had is no longer gonna be there in the physical sense, though I did still have that that emotional and that spiritual connection there as well. So that was a really big, a really big piece for me. But another part of personal grief has been the experience of the grandparent relationship that I never had. All of my grandparents passed before I was born, except for one who passed when I was around two years old. So we really didn't have that relationship. And one of the running jokes with my friend group has always been about the lessons taught by our grandparents and what those relationships were like. And for someone who's never had that, I can't relate to it. And just having to, to mourn what I wish that the future has always been one of those pieces around uh, my personal story. But that's also a part of the work that I've done back in the psychology field. Because mm -hmm. we aren't always mourning, like Dr. Edie mentioned, we aren't always mourning loss or grieving in the sense of death. Grief is not bound to death solely, but it's bound to the loss of relationship, loss of sense of self. Um, lost to that piece of normalcy, like Reverend McNeil also mentioned as well. And that becomes part of that that story. So as a person in the, the psych field, it was always working with folks who are not losing their sense of self. It's about losing how they once saw the nose in terms of their cognitive functioning, their emotional functioning, the things that uh -huh. they can do with their family. And that's no longer there. Their families are also mourning this idea of that they thought they were going to be relating with, and now that person has changed and shifted forever. And someone who owns a, a consulting firm that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusivity, I also work with companies and organizations that have to deal with the loss of people who are very set persons within the, the organization that are no longer there because my work with them who's firing folks, who's letting right. them go and dismantling systems that otherwise were not helpful, like you may have sought comfort in it because of your privilege. So right. I'm See, so I think we have shared quite a bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to you next, Jay. Um, but I wanna flip it a little bit. Why don't you share a little more about what grief is, right? I think so many of us, we put, we associate grief with death, like we're, you know, the loss of someone. And as you guys have all mentioned, during this time, this quarantine, we're grieving our freedom, just the ability to, you know, um, careers, uh, like you said, relationships. And then later, I want to talk a little bit about the relationships that were, you know, years ago and those unresolved issues. Um, but could you tell us just what grief is, just a general kind of summary of what grief is? Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you for that question, Lakeisha. I think that if I had to define grief, um, I would just say it's uh, just a natural reaction to loss, 
to any kind of loss. You guys have done a great job of highlighting the different, the various forms in which loss can be presented itself. But um, it's, it's just any kind of loss. Like, for example, it can be a loss of, like you mentioned, Lakeisha, um, going outside. So a loss of liberty, or autonomy, a loss um, of a loved one, a loss of a relationship and not a death loss, but maybe more of a loss where it was a breakup or you guys mm -hmm. moved away from each other. So it can be any form of loss um, in your life to something that you felt deeply connected to or something that you deeply valued. Absolutely. Okay, so um, Dr. Leela, you mentioned, and anyone can chime in on this, but you mentioned the um, continual reminders, right? And and I sometimes call them triggers. Mm -hmm. How can we um, avoid allowing those to set us back, right? So I think you know sometimes we've got to get to that healing process. We've got to get through the the stages of grief and all of that. Um, but once we get there, since we're kind of on it, I'm going to bring it up now. How do we avoid those triggers or those reminders um, becoming a, a major setback and taking us out for not just the day, but the entire week? And, you know, how do we avoid that? Well, the big thing is that you have to acknowledge that they're there in the first place. And mm -hmm. often with um, with folks and I'll even say with black folks, because we have this strong tide of resiliency and to making it over and to making it through, but that misses that opportunity where you actually have to deal with the pain and you have to deal with the hurt. You have to be very intentional about acknowledging it's there, the etiology of it. And by etiology, I mean, where does it come from? And why is it on my spirit the way it is? So once that acknowledgement has been had, once you've gotten to a place of honoring the pain that was caused as a result, then you can work towards that path of actually healing through it. And when you will have those continual reminders, it'll still it'll still have that spark around. Oh, I remember when or I remember that person or that thing or that moment. But it will change the relationship you have to that grief, because for a lot of us, that grief won't necessarily go away. But our relationship to that grief won't cause that. Mm -hmm. And I also want us to be okay with grief lasting and persisting a bit because there's a lesson in there. And I know that that's hard to understand. Like, well, what could this lesson be? Come on. Yeah. After losing my baby, you know, after losing um, that job that I, I spent in. Don't judge me, y'all, but I know to the dollar how much um, that doctorate cost me. <laughs> but and you should, it. okay? Because um, she be calling all the time, like, "Sis, I ain't got it." Mm, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it has this component where, through that pain, I learned more about who I am, how mm -hmm. I will show up in various environments, and what that showing up in new boundary setting and relationship with other people will be like in context, and mm -hmm. that is. Hey, it is okay to have that grief transform into how you will then advocate for yourself and understand yourself and understand the world around you in a different way. So from that point of frame, and I know this is very long-winded, um, it's about recognizing that if you don't want it to re-trigger you back to the original point of that pain in the same way it did when it first happened, you mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that it's there. You have to be intentional about doing the work. I say this all the time. I said it to, to Reverend McNeil. I've gotten fussed about it, but I'll say it again. Prayer works, but the Lord also made therapists. They'll get you one. Um, your best friend, your mom and them cannot be the place where you put all of that work. That is not their responsibility to heal and help you in that way. 
So utilize the resources available to you. Be intentional about the usage of those resources. And mm. then at that point, it will then change your relationship to that grief. And it will not trigger you in the same way it did when that initial hurt happened. And I hope Ooh, I love that. that was a lot of that was some good stuff. And I think Pastor uh, Scott said, listen, tell folks there are some things you will not get over, but God yeah. will give you strength to deal yeah. with it. Thank I want to go to Dr. Uh, Reedy. You know, we talked, you know, when we start talking about lessons, y'all, because I look for a lesson in everything. You know, I think people ask, why me? Why did this happen to me? You know, not that you would prefer it happen to someone else. Just why did it have to happen to me? Dr. Reedy, talk to us a little bit about spiritual lessons. You know, I love what Dr. Lita took us there. Um, but I think in my my valley, I was... I mean, I got very close with God and I, it was in a way that I had never been before. And I thought I, my faith was very strong. But talk to us a, a little bit about some of the spiritual lessons that we can learn if we kind of allow God to take us there. Instead yeah. of just focusing on what we've lost, allow yeah. us to kind of gain this great relationship with him. How do, how do we do that? And what are some of the lessons that we could possibly learn? Well, first, I have to say that that Dr. Ellis Nelson kind of gave us that in 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 her answer. Right. Um, So so if I can do it this way, because she said some things that I I really, really want people to to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, sort of as black people, we are we are sort of socialized to push through. Mm -hmm. Society. And and if this is these are my words, sort of the 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 parasitic nature of sort of white supremacy and capitalism pushes us through everything in a way that does not allow us to connect to our own feelings, right? Our Uh own emotions. And it tells us, regardless of what we feel, just go out and continue producing or making or or doing, 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 doing. Uh And we never get an opportunity to sit and be. Everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that told us to do is mm-hmm. to pause for a moment and mm-hmm. to reflect, to name our feelings and to reflect, so that some healing, like there's some there's some healing in naming what we feel. There's some mm-hmm. healing in naming the fact that I'm angry that I have had a miscarriage or that my cousin, my my cousin, who is one of my first friends, who is a year and a half older than me is on hospice care today. My, Uh literally my first friend is on hospice care today. Uh One year, 18 months older than me, almost to the day. And Jamie is angry. And and the God that I know and understand is big enough to handle Jamie's anger. Come on. So so God is big enough, a lesson for us to know is God is big Uh enough to handle anger and our frustration and our shaking our fists and pointing mm-hmm. our finger or whatever mm-hmm. comes with the emotion that we feel, right? So that's a lesson. Another thing that that, that Dr. Leela um, shared with us is to know that there are going to be times when the feeling comes back. So last year, this time, yeah, I did a funeral for my cousin. Listen, mm-hmm. last year, literally this day, I did a funeral for my cousin this day. But 30 years prior, his wife, who was my blood relative, died. Hear me. He was my cousin by marriage. Yeah. 30 years prior, his wife, who was my second mother, died. 
when I walked through the funeral door, 30 years had passed. I was, you know, I lost my breath. Wow. Mm -hmm. Literally could not breathe. Had to walk out, go back and sit in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Did not know that the emotion in that moment was going to hit me. Yes. In a way that I, if I did not get to the car, I was probably going to just fall on the floor. Right. Right. I, and guess what? That's okay. It's okay. That's yes. okay. Yeah. I sat. I breathed. Yeah. <sighs> yes. Wow. I loved, I love her. I love yeah. her. Woo. I felt it. I tried to fix my makeup up a little bit. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's okay. Right. So God is big enough to handle all of the feeling that we have, but it's important that we learn to name our feeling because God created us with emotion mm -hmm. and to disconnect from it is to disconnect from what, what God has placed in us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what God has called and created us to be. Mm -hmm. so, so I see that, you know, um, Marco is saying that it's, it's hard, you know, that it's, it's hard to do. Right. Because, you know, it posted that it's, it's tough. Men are told not to cry, yeah. you know, um, be tough. It's all right. Move through it. Keep going. You know, we wear multiple hats. We can't be seen in a vulnerable state in front of this group of folks, you know, mm -hmm. and then in front of this, when do we get to escape and just, Feel those emotions. Just take time to forgive. Take time to be angry and all of that. When do you get to do that? Jay, I'm going to go to you quickly. Tell me, you know, as a man, um, is grieving difficult? Is it, you know, do we need to discuss genders here? You know, is, is it something that's hard to do as a man? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, as she was talking, I was just thinking about that. Like, it's so different for men, how it is for men than it is for women, because like hyper masculinity teaches us that there are only certain emotions that are um, okay for me and there are only certain emotions and it starts from boyhood you know and you're told not to cry you're told not to express these emotions um and you kind of really don't know what to do with them and i think even growing up in the church world sometimes you can feel like you can't even healthily express emotion or, or anger like what do i do with my anger sometimes anger is okay but a lot of times it may not be okay so for men uh keisha i think you kind of started to hit on it because a lot of times what men do and a lot of people do is try to escape it so instead of me actually becoming reflective and finding a safe space where I can express my feelings and really kind of, I think of emotion ourselves as like a sponge, right? And we fill it with emotion and it's like water is the emotion and it feels and feels and feels. And there comes a point where it, that water has got to come out. Like a sponge can only hold so much water, whether it drips or oozes out, it has to come out. And it's better if we are the ones like to make that happen instead of it just happening some random event happening but because we want to escape you also see a lot of times that black men deal with a lot of addictions right mm -hmm. so when we come into drug use alcohol use i mean we binge people binge on food things yes. like that just to just to bring us some type of satisfaction just to bring us some type of happiness yes. to avoid what it is that we're really feeling and that's mm -hmm. not healthy whatsoever that's not healthy mm -hmm. whatsoever so for men, it's really important. I think I think it's more important for men to create a space, a safe space and a culture to be vulnerable with each other. But that's really hard to do in this world that we live in, though. 
So do, would you agree that, you know, um, because you aren't able to express your emotions, right, which God created us um, to have these emotions, um, are you still able to grow into who God created you to be? Yeah, that's a really great question. As uh, Reverend Jamie was talking, I was thinking about like uh, she was saying, as when, if you remove our emotion, you remove a tool that God has given us. And I think that that even removes some of the connection that we have with God, because our relationship with God is spiritual. Yeah. And he breathed life into us. So if we remove that emotion, yeah. like what connection to God do we actually have? How can we sense his spirit? How can we feel his presence there? Right. Mm-hmm. And I know like you're pointing to your mind, too. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's some things that we know, but so much of our relationship with God is, is based in what we can feel yeah. as well. And we need to feel God's presence. We need to be able to feel it. If you look in scripture as well, you'll also see that God has emotions as well. Christ wept. He wept before before he was crucified. Like, Lord, if you can just take this away from me. And if like, this is who we are modeling ourselves after. That's the title. Christian comes from Christ. Then apparently if we look at him, then we see that there is something healthy and even righteous about expressing our emotions. Okay. So so let's talk a little bit about the enemy, Dr. Reedy. I um I am curious, you know, when we are at our lowest, sometimes the enemy attacks, right? Mm-hmm. How do we know that it is just maybe a trigger or um an emotion and it's not necessarily, you know, the enemy showing up to to test us or to attack? You said, how do we know that it's a trigger or an emotion? Yes, how do, how do we focus on healing instead of focusing on, you know, how do we know if it's distinguish the difference? You know, oh, this may be a trigger and not necessarily an attack. You know what I'm saying? I've had people come to me and just say, man, I feel like, you know, the enemy is attacking me. I'm at my lowest of the lows, you know, but it could very right. well that's the, the grieving process. Yeah. So I think. Part part of that is because we don't know enough about the grieving process. Okay. And I think that's one. Two, I think we blame everything on the enemy. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have this, we 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 tend to blame everything on enemy. Um and 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 so some of that is we really do need to learn about our own behavior. We need mm-hmm. to learn about mm-hmm. a process of grief. It, it, and as we begin to learn that, then I think we'll be able to differentiate between. Um, oh, you know what? This is actually um, what happens when people are grieving. You know, you know what I mean? So some of this is, is learning, which happens through dialogue, which happens when churches like St. Paul do things like this and invite people to dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. So I think some of that is learning. Yeah. Um, and some of that is our willingness to, to go through the process of healing. Some of that is our willingness mm-hmm. to actually do the work. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because people think you, you whether 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 it is attack or trigger, if you are unwilling to do the work of sort of resistance or healing, regardless of um, method of entry to to you, mm-hmm. you you won't fight. You you know what I mean. So if, if you are determined to to do your work. Mm-hmm. You're going to do your work, whether mm-hmm. it is attack or trigger. So sometimes yeah. we have to make a decision. I'm ready to do the work. Mm-hmm. And here's I'm ready to do the work. And because we're not perfect, there's still going to be some days that I mess up. That's mm-hmm. right. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Dr. Leela, what does do the work mean? 
Tell us more about how do we show up? How do we do the work? <laughs> Honestly, it just bounces off of, of what Dr. Edie was saying is a lot of it comes from this need to be accountable for how you may also be actively working against your own healing as well. Mm. Um, it goes back into <laughs> I'm just going to reiterate. Dr. Lee, let's say that again, just the way you said it. Say that, active, say right. that again. You might need to write that. It was poetic. It was poetic. Okay, you said actively working against okay. your own healing. Ooh, somebody needs to write that down. I'm sorry. Somebody needs somebody, to write that down. Please, somebody, so we can run that back. Okay. I got you. But, but, but again, all I'm doing is reiterating this construct of um, does it really matter where, where it's coming from? Because at the end of the day, if you aren't going to challenge how you refuse to set boundaries, how you refuse to change your behavior, how you refuse to let go of that partner, how you refuse to actually show up to that therapy session, well, refuse to acknowledge that therapy is a tool and a resource that you could actually use in the first place to better support your healing process. Are you in the place to really let go um, of those issues? So it just it just comes back to this concept of recognizing that the personal accountability that has to happen throughout the healing process is always mm -hmm. going to start and end with you. It is no one else's responsibility to make that happen for you. And it's your responsibility to be an active agent in that process. Absolutely. Continues. And so like we before, it's going to run back. You're going to get to a point where something's going to re-trigger you, it's going to hurt you again mm -hmm. in the same way it had before. But honestly, that's just another challenge for you to make some decisions about, well, what's changed in my environment and how have I shifted to accommodate that? So mm -hmm. that I can have this newness that's necessary for this new season in my life as well. So mm -hmm. that becomes a, a challenge to really start to recognize that something is unsettled, but it's also me not doing the work. And sometimes you not doing the work means you refuse to move. You refuse mm -hmm. to move out of those environments that are causing you to re-traumatize yourself. So you Absolutely. just have to. And, you know, one of my coaches, we spoke um, to a group of women and we talked about life. We compared it to the gears of a car, you know, um, looking in reverse, focusing on what we had or what is no longer, you know, sitting mm -hmm. in neutral, letting life just happen to you. You know, you're no longer thriving. You're just literally sitting there letting life happen. And I think through the grief process, you have to be very careful of that because tomorrow everyone else is going to move on. Right. And, and you, mm -hmm. you'll there and I, I even for me I was like oh my gosh like I, I need the world to stop you know <laughs> stop because my husband passed away you know and so um I think it's important for us to keep driving you know and mm -hmm. keep moving forward I want to talk a little bit about how strategic God can be um mm -hmm. I believe he if once you are open to healing and you know, you accept it, you're, you're accountable and all of that. Do you think that he would strategically, that he can strategically place people in your life, you know, um, to help you move forward? Who wants to take that? I will. I'll go ahead with that one. I think that God definitely will place people in your life that you need. I think one of maybe our shortcomings is whether or not we're aware of it, whether we're actually paying attention to the people that God is yes. placing in our lives, because he can he can surround you with folks that will help you all day with the tools and resources. But it really depends on you and your awareness. And if you are like sister say, if you are actively going for yourself or against yourself, yeah. 
And sometimes mm-hmm. that can just look like laziness. God can put the, he, like I think about the St. Paul family. There's so many folks and resources here, but are you connecting with people? Are you meeting people that can help serve your need? Whatever it may be. Um, and sometimes we forfeit that by not really wanting to do the work, by settling into complacency. Comfort and complacency is one of our biggest enemies. And and could we compare that to suffering in silence? And and if so, how do we how do we help those that may not know how to ask for help? Mm. Well, I'm a, I'll say this. I'm sorry. I'll say this. I think that I think one of the things for me in learning as a man and learning how to ask for help as a black man and learning how to help ask for help is that like God created us in community. So there is a measure of humility that has to come with it. So with our walk with Christ, there is that being able to come to folks and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And also keeping in mind, like this is your stuff. Like I think maybe there and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a measure of maybe selfishness in there when you suffer in silence. Um, it's kind of self-pity that's in there when you suffer in silence because you do have that autonomy to go to somebody and say that I need help. And we all know like you can't heal what's not revealed. Like you just got to put it out there. God, Ooh, I love that. What you ain't willing to give up to him. So Absolutely. you hold it on to yourself maybe for fear of how folks will view you or because that you may not just be ready to move from that place. And sometimes that's okay. But I also think that there comes a time when we got to just gird up our loins and move on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you can definitely miss that blessing. Um, Absolutely. So I agree with you 100%. Here, here's the challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've been socialized to, to especially as, 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 as black folk, right? Yeah. To do this thing ourselves, yes. Um, yes. especially because we've been socialized to do this thing ourselves, um, and and um, in some ways, in some ways, I think, in some ways, I think the church has 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 lent itself to that too. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. uh, that we we do have to sort of reorient people to what it means to ask for help in this way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To ask for help in a way that deals with mental and emotional support. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because mental and emotional support has not been, um, we, we've been told, you know, as long as I got King Jesus, <laughs> I don't need I'm not, like, right. I don't need anybody else. And that's not true. <laughs> right. So, right. So I, I think that, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I really do. Mm-hmm. I'm I am the person who says let's 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 sit down and let's mm-hmm. talk about some of this stuff. Let's get wrong yes. with some of this stuff. Yes. I, I believe that. And at the same time, I know how we have socialized people to mm-hmm. not feel comfortable mm-hmm. to believe mm-hmm. that something is wrong with them because they go home and cry at night. To believe yes. that something is wrong with them because there's some things that they have not been able to get over. Right. To believe that something is wrong with them because they suffered a loss. Right. 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 I mean, let's talk about let's let's talk about loss. Right. There are some losses that we tell people they are wrong, that something's wrong with you because you experience. I am a, I won't say my age, I don't have children. There are some people who might think something's wrong with me because I am a certain age and I'm not married and don't have children. Right. So yeah. To say that I might be grieving loneliness, put my business out in the street, that right. people might say something wrong. Mm-hmm. So we we do have to 
we it's both and right mm-hmm. it is exactly what you said and we must own mm-hmm. that we have socialized people for years yeah and I, and I think I think we need to make sure that we're being obedient. I think that we're obedient. And like you just shared your story, you know, you mm-hmm. put your feelings out there. I think that's what you say. Your business out there. Right. But I think you just help someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, if you walk around like I'm just so strong, nothing affects me. I, you know, people can't relate to you, you know, mm-hmm. and your story isn't for yourself. You know, he's given us some mm-hmm. of these burdens to help someone else. Because mm-hmm. what is strength? Mm-hmm. What is strength? See, and yeah. that's the thing that we need to reorganize too, right? Is we have this healthy understanding of what it means to be strong. We just assume. Yes, yes. Oh, that's the truth. Yes. And then also to what um, I saw Jeffrey Stevenson say earlier in the comments. So thank you for that. But it's this idea that we have this unhealthy and unrealistic definition of what is strength and what does mm-hmm. it mean to be a strong person. Strong mm-hmm. is walking through life. Like nothing can hurt me. Nothing can phase me. I don't right. need any yeah. relationship. I don't need no man. I don't need anybody to help Preach me. Today. I've been all by myself my entire life. I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> that's not right. If anything, that's 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 an interpersonal suicide that happens. That's distancing you from your true calling. It does because you need the ability to really understand how to utilize the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. not just in the function of how you can serve other people, but mm-hmm. how you create that spirit of wholeness within yourself, so you aren't searching for it continuously in others. But yeah. there's idea where you have to recognize that strength is knowing that you have a wide range of emotions within you, as evidenced by what you said earlier, Jay, and that using it and understanding it at its core is how you then can can truly start to get to that point of healing and you can heal through all types of situations that may come into play. Mm-hmm. And talking about that idea of hypermasculinity or toxic masculinity. I also feel we need to add in the idea of the black superwoman because they assume that because we are black women and we've been through so much historically that we can handle anything and we should handle anything. And that leaves us no room to be soft. That leaves us no room to be vulnerable. No room to be soft and to be vulnerable. We limit people's full potential to be full whole beings and the human understanding. My goodness. Exist. So we need to reorganize and decolonize our definition. Come on today. Strength <laughs> came from white folks back when they ripped your babies from you about mm-hmm. 450 something years ago mm-hmm. when they told the mother white people that y'all was animals and that y'all don't actually experience emotions and that what you're doing is faking it so that we don't rip you away from your community and rip you away from your mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. We took that as a moniker of, well, because this happened, I had to keep fighting. I had to be resilient and pushed on. And that's true. But we have 450 something years to the point where we can also stay. But I also now have time to deal and sit with it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if I'm glad and if I'm you mentioned that. I mean, I literally died ability to sit and walk for a good 10 minutes. And then later I can work on being all the things I need to do in the rest of my life. But I, those folks mm-hmm. didn't die on that block for me wow. to sit and think that I don't need them or anybody else to carry me through. So we just have to reorganize and decolonize our understanding of strength. We have to do what Dr. Edie has mentioned and be accountable for our, our actions in the yeah. context of it. We have to do what you've mentioned, Jay, which is recognize the maladaptive patterns that have happened as a result of how other people have placed their mm-hmm. own for us to be accountable for things in their lives, 
moves our agency. And mm-hmm. they all do what you've been saying, Lakeisha, is to stay true to themselves and honor that word that lays within them. So it just mm-hmm. it's a component of all of these things that we've been working on. But if we aren't going to be intentional about it, if we aren't going to decolonize our mindset, and if we mm-hmm. aren't to then hold ourselves accountable for that growth and healing process, mm-hmm. then we're not. You'll be right there, dead in a, in a body, doing absolutely nothing with yourself. So much that that was so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my God. I think I need to have to let us one more hour. We gotta have a part two. Okay. Um, so, oh, that was so much. That was so good. I want to go back and put my business out there because I am a coach, and a lot of my the shoulders I stood on. My people, some people I did not know prior to my husband passing, but God put them in my life and they helped me. Literally half of my circle helped me get through. But a lot of them, they're coaches. We're coaches. I'm always being tough. And, you know, um, and I did. I grieved just being soft, just being able to be a woman, just, you know, and outside I I grieved a bear hug, like my husband's big, you know, strong bear hug and all of that. Mm. So. I, I get that. I totally, totally get that. And and for me, what's coming up after you just spoke is, my God, our entire culture is is grieving the ability to be at our best because mm-hmm. of all the things you just mentioned in history. We're some amazing people, and and I I don't think anyone has experienced being at their best without some sort of prerequisite or criteria that we had to meet. You know, so. Um, oh gosh. Okay. That was a lot. That was a lot. Um, I love the spirit of wholeness. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. I want to ask a question that Dr. Scott brought up or Mm -hmm. Pastor Scott. Um, how do you process depression while grieving? Um, I think that's a very, very good question. Um, because you can be going through the grieving process, but having this heavy, heavy weight, um, you know, walking through life in fear, you know, that, that was my thing. I was just fearful, you know, and I really had to learn how to get rid of that fear. You know, how do, how do we get through grief? How do we grieve while dealing with depression? Hmm. Who wants to take that? Well, I believe that depression is a, a stage of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's natural for people to experience that. That's one of the stages of grief um, is depression. Um, I think that a lot of what we experience, especially with that, is really holding tightly to what it is that we wanted, what it is that we desired, what it is that we were connected to. Um, and there comes a point where I think a practical step is just to begin to envision yourself without it. Um, personally, from a, a Christian belief, like I think about like what what really does sit on the throne of your heart. You know, because it, and sometimes and I'm not saying that depression isn't real. I'm not trying to make it over spiritual. I think that these are opportunities that God gives us to really evaluate our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to sift through that stuff. And I'm not saying that it has to be rushed through, but I think that um, we have to give ourselves grace. I'm probably one of the biggest uh, <laughs> uh, self compassionate people that you'll find (laughs) maybe to a fault, you know, where I don't hold myself accountable, maybe. But I think that there is a measure because we have these high standards for ourselves of how life is supposed to be. And I think sometimes just navigating that depression means that, like, I have suffered loss and and acknowledging that and being okay with it, not really necessarily pushing yourself to be to this particular point. Like you, you will be sad. That's natural to be Mm -hmm. sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, 
And I, anyone else want to weigh in on that? Just dealing with depression? I'll keep it quick. I, I do want to echo what you're saying, Jay. And also part of that process is knowing that you cannot do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, to, to ask for some help and some support, but also to be cognizant of who you're asking. Yeah, yeah. They may not be in a place to help you in the way you think that they are. So mm-hmm. if you connect to someone who um, who has, um, how much did I spend? Five hundred. <laughs> Three hundred sixty-two dollars and eighty-two cents. Okay, yeah. <laughs> get a couple of degrees um, to work on that. Not that you can't have some additional support through the people in your life, mm-hmm. but really, you want a place to just get it all out there in a non-judgmental way with somebody who don't know your mom and them and can really give you an honest perspective on this is why that depression is there. This is why that grief is holding you down in the way it is. Then find you somebody with um, a couple of uh, letters at the end of their name to help you mm-hmm. figure that out. Um, but then also there has to be acceptance of the process too, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's not going to be something quick. And mm-hmm. like I said, depression and, and grief can be symptoms of each other. They're actually mm-hmm. two completely different diagnoses that show up in each other's definitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be mindful of that process. You don't have to do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. There are resources out there. And then a lot of that healing work is going to be from you acknowledging the time that it's going to take to get through that process. Mm-hmm. How, how do we go back and because I think sometimes through the process we become or we may act um, out of character. How do we how do we correct some? How do we correct that or you know um, do we just go back and, and ask for forgiveness when we're dealing with loved ones and all of that? Because sometimes there's a lot of things we may do that's out of character um, due to the grieving process or depression or whatever you're you're kind of dealing with. Um, any suggestions when dealing with family? Um, my biggest thing is, yes, you can apologize, but if you're not going to change your behavior, don't lie to me. Okay. So make sure that when you are recognizing like, ooh, I did not mean to snap on you like that. I didn't mean to just walk out or, or throw things or be angry in that way. Um, actually go the step to really understanding why you responded in the way you did. What were you trying to unconsciously defend against that you had to react in the way you did? And then you actively work to not redo that hurt in the same way in the future. Because a problem mean nothing if your actions will not Mm -hmm. go through with it. Mm -hmm. Be mindful of that. But I'll keep that part short. I know I definitely want to hear from Jay and Dr. Eve too. No, I think I think you really hit hit the nail on the head. It's it if you are unwilling to do the work, all, all of what we talked about tonight um, s- talks about you being willing to do some work, that none of this is a quick process that you, mm-hmm. you actually, and it's not, it's not easy work. So if you're unwilling to do the work that um, modifies your behavior, that the work of change, then don't, th- there is no need for the apology. But with that, we don't have to accept people's behavior either. That's right. Right. So if someone is if, if the person is coming and acting, then you also have the, the right to, to tell them they are no longer welcomed in your space. And I know that's hard for us sometimes because mm-hmm. we say, oh, they're grieving. But if the behavior doesn't change. And so we have to figure out ways to engage in those conversations as well. But Dr. Leland really said it. If you're not willing to do the work of change, then the apology really is for naught. That's performative too. So you got to accept that. Some pain is just a performance. And mm-hmm. for secondary mm-hmm. pain. So yes, make sure you are 
So thank you. For that. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Doctor, uh, really, well, Doctor J, I haven't called you Doctor J yet. Um, Doctor J, um, do you think God has prepared us for everything He's asked us to carry? You know, there was a time where I sat back and reflected, and I actually saw how God prepared me. He actually gave me the tools and or kind of prepared me in a way, you know, do you feel as a, a from a spiritual perspective, you feel that he's prepared you or at least gives you the capacity, the ability to gain the knowledge or the tools that you need to get through? So uh, difficult question for me, but yeah, I think that, um, that there, there are times I have to search a little bit to figure yeah. out in there what, you know, I do, right? There are times when I'm like, I'm not ready. Because here's the thing. When we're hit with something that hurts, when we're hit with something traumatic, of course we don't feel like we were ready for it. Right. But the, 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 the realizing that you can handle it comes in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The realizing, oh, you know what? I can look back now and I can see how Mm-hmm. moving here and experiencing that. And, oh, when I went to class and that happened, then I can realize that I picked mm-hmm. up some things. Um, oh, when I had this conversation. So in hindsight, I look back and I can see how I was in some way um, ready, but I can also see how when I felt like I was at my weakest, yes, that there were people around. Oh, yes. Right? So... Was Jamie always, did Jamie always have the words, always have the information, always have the strength? Yes. I don't know. Right. But Jamie's always kind of been pretty vulnerable to say, y'all, I don't know what I'm doing. And I need your help. have shown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from that perspective, I believe that everything Jamie needs is in the house. Yeah. Now, it might not be in Jamie's house. But Jamie's house is this world. So he yeah. can figure out the house to go to. Yeah. To get what he needs. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Scott is asking us um, or giving us permission to go another 15 minutes. Are we okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. All right. Awesome. Okay. All right. So this is so good. Um, okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about our youth um, because I am a coach. I'm a coach of a lot of kids. And um, I get to coach kids that are great. Um, and my job is to make them a little bit better. Going after scholarships and all of that, they're some of the best of the best. Y'all, they are struggling. This quarantine is, it's the whole virtual experience. Our kids are, are struggling. Um, how do we work with kids when it comes to grief? Because you guys talked a lot about this may have happened in your childhood. And this is something you were probably needing to grieve. But at that point, I don't think my mother said, oh, or, you know, my parents divorcing or something like that. I didn't look at that as, oh, I'm grieving that, you know. And so these are things that we just kind of push our emotions down or deal with them, cover them up. I'm a sprinter. I run from them. But how do do we deal with our kids? How do we, what is the best way to approach a kid, um, our child, or we're coaching, whatever, to, to kind of start the conversation? If it's okay if I if I start, um, it's one thing to be able to tell them something, but another big thing is how are you actually modeling what's okay for them too. So you can say that it's okay to to cry and be upset and to be honest with me and tell me the truth, 
But if that does not come with you actually doing the same thing, where you're being authentic about your emotions, where they can actually see, nope, I need to set a boundary here and, and to do some of that self-care and some of that restorative work. If they're not seeing you say, well, no, I actually do have a therapist and I do go mm -hmm. to somebody and this is how I use my relationships, uh, that, that will have more meaning for them than just yeah. that conversation. So one of the biggest things that I encourage people to do is to actually model the behaviors in the youth and uh, yourself that you actually want to see the youth actually be able to carry out because they're watching you all day, every day. They're watching how you interact on social media. They're watching how you talk to them, how you talk to other people. Um, if you're always short with them or curt with them, if it's always a do what I say and not what I do, you don't give them even in that moment permission to have multiple emotions. Yeah. Or to say, you know, I really didn't like when you did this as my parent or as my such and such. Um, then and that's, that's okay. And it's yeah. okay. Because, we okay. Also, yeah, we also have this mindset where it's like if a kid says something to you, then they're automatically talking back and being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. But then now you're teaching that kid that in any situation they've ever been in, they can never advocate for themselves. They can never right. be full and, and whole in terms of that wide range of emotion. So while yes, there is a way that that dialogue can happen to automatically shut it down or to pull the, well, I'm the parent and you do what I say, or back when I was growing up, I couldn't do X, Y, and Z. So that's why we have these rules. You know, that's crap. So you need to, you need to understand how your own actions and your behaviors um, may also be rooted in your own traumas and you're re-traumatizing right. you with your own stuff. Yeah, so going to model something to me, model how you want me to exist in the world around me when I don't have your protection to, 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 to guide me. We protect our babies. We we won't let them fall. We won't let them make a mistake. You know, yeah, um, yeah. very, very, very yeah, involved. Yeah. Um, just a couple comments. You know, good question. As hard as this pandemic is on the adults, it's just as hard as as True. it is on the adults. It's just as hard on the kids. Um, yeah. and then, Can I add something? I'm sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, to to what to what Doc just said, and respecting the fact that their losses. And what they are experiencing right now is just as significant as what we are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. the fact that they are missing recess with friends yeah. is yeah. just as significant as your loss. You think mm -hmm. it's recess? That recess is serious. Like that, right. is, that is a significant loss for a third grader. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so it's yeah. just recess. It's not just recess. Right. Mm -hmm. So respecting that their loss is significant mm -hmm. is yeah. really, really important in in all of what she said, but in recognizing and, and helping them deal with and talk about and work through their losses and their feelings about losses as well. It's really honoring their mm -hmm. loss. Yeah. Like yeah. this is a loss. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. a loss for yeah. you. Jay, did you want to weigh in on that before? Uh, we move on. No, I support everything that they said. Like, I, I can't think of anything else that I would say. I know sometimes the kids are difficult maybe for adults to understand or to work with. So I, I'm definitely an advocate of getting a therapist for them, too. And um, I, when I was in school, I did a little play therapy. And I'm telling you, like, that stuff works wonders way more than talk therapy, especially for boys. I worked with this little boy. He had some stuff inside of him, and he would fight it out. And when he left out of that room, he was good. So <laughs> sometimes it doesn't look like sitting down talking, you know, to get these kids to, um, to process what's going on inside of them. There's more than one way to skin a cat. 
Yes, right. So, so uh, we have a question from James. Are a lot of these issues coming from overthinking and criticizing ourselves based on our upbringing? Um, it's a lot that that men are upbringing. That that is the root to a lot of our of our issues that we need to kind of come through. Um, but do you think that we overthink and and criticize ourselves too much? Who wants that? Dr. J, go ahead. Those eyebrows are up. I think we're, no, I think we're all kind of shaking our head. Yes. I mean, I, I, again, but I think that's the socialization, right? I think, yeah, I think we, we do. I think we criticize ourselves, but I also believe we've been criticized. I, I don't think mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. It, it is both and. It's mm-hmm. something that we do, but I think it's something that's been, you know how you adopt the, mm-hmm. the dominant culture's narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think some of that is what we what we've done too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but many of us overthink our own decisions. Our own many of us criticize self acceptance is a is a problem for many people. Mm-hmm. And figuring yeah. out a way to to sit with who you are and to recognize your own value and affirm mm-hmm. yourself. I mm-hmm. think I think that is. You know how long it took me to sit down and be like, yo, you good, Jay? Mm-hmm. And, and that is a work that is continuous. That's mm-hmm. not That's a work that you yes. do one time and you good one time and then you walk away good forever. No, that is a continuous work. Yes. Have to do for, for me, every Wednesday, I got to remind myself, you know, <laughs> who I am in Christ, right? And I literally, it's it's right here. I was just about to ask you, um, when we forget who we are, you know, um, how do we deal with that? Because sometimes we can be in such a low valley that we forget who we are, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily ha- have to be kind of who we are fleshly, but who we are in Christ, you know, mm-hmm. um, which give us that confidence to take another step, you know, um, and it's okay to shed a few tears and all of that through the grieving process. But I, for me, I had to say, okay, God, I'm willing to carry this with tears and a few laughs in between, you know, mm-hmm. um, there was another comment I'm not trying to change the subject. I love that she started like that. Hi, Miss Lori. Um, but after losing my husband of almost 40 years, oh, God, um, just one year ago, I now feel like I can go on. Um, I have my days, but I'm trusting in God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's fine to acknowledge, right? Yeah, Everyone's going yes, to be, you know, a great day. For me, I was like just looking at the hours. Oh, this was a good hour. My kids and I had a few laughs. The next hour could be tough or, you know, um, and isn't that okay? It's okay to kind of experience the different emotions, right? Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Um, and then we got Jeffrey responding, just saying that, you know, she's fine and uh, your, com- uh, your comment is perfectly timed with this subject. Um, so I, I am very happy folks are on. We only have a few more minutes, guys. We're going to go to like 110. So if you would put questions in the in the chat there. And then I wanted to give each of our panelists just an opportunity to either revisit something that we've discussed. And if there isn't anything, believe me, I have a lot of questions left. Um, <laughs> but if there is something that you'd like to revisit or something that God has placed on your heart to share, I definitely don't want to be in the way of that. So um, Ms. Uh, or Dr. Leela, you are at the top of my screen. So if you'd like to go first, that would be awesome. Um, I guess for me, it's just another quick point to what we were just talking about along the lines of overthinking and over-criticizing ourselves. That's, that's easy um, to be a pattern when our worth is tied to our productivity level. 
the culture will will breathe that into you and will have you questioning yourself because then you start to think that rest and breaks are irresponsible and they're mm-hmm. wasting time when really they just simply restore you to be able to do the things necessary to mm-hmm. not only to feed yourself, um, but also to, to breathe life into other people as well. So just be mindful of that. Beautiful. All right, Dr. J. Um, yeah, so similar, I guess, I guess this is similar. Um, what, what has helped me in all of um, in my grieving and work that I do with folks who are grieving is to remind people to reflect, similar to what Dr. Lila just said, reflecting on who we are, um, affirming ourselves, and reflecting in that I pause, I name who I am. I get to name who I am. I get to name who God has created me to be. I get to be and not do like she you know the difference is there's a difference in being and doing and i am a human being and i get to pause for a moment and be i get to name who i am i get to name what i feel and how i feel and i get to express those things mm-hmm. um and in that that means i also take time to pause and feel i take time to pause and rest which is more than just a nap my pausing and resting is is my napping, but it's also my my um, the resting of my mind. Right when I sort of let go of what is keeping me busy in the world, absolutely, occupied. Right, all of that's important in me being a whole being. Um, I'm nurtured. I spend time nurturing myself. Um, I take time to escape. So escape might be watching a, an action flick. Mm-hmm. Escape and nurture are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to know the difference. So I make sure I get my escape, but I also make sure I get my nurture. All of mm-hmm. that's important in being whole and being nourished and being healed and in the healing process. So those are some of the things that I just do for myself. But the first thing is the reflection, is figuring out who I am and naming myself because the world will keep you spinning around so that you don't know who you are and that you are constantly producing because you are a commodity. That right. is, I, call, I keep saying it, the sort of parasitic nature of, of capitalism, white supremacy, all of that. You are created in the image of God. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So pause and reflect in that, reflect mm-hmm. on that and, and let that guide you in your healing process. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said, Jay. Yeah, I just I've been tossing around um, some things that Dr. Leela said, especially as how we're conditioned, socialized, and kind of this "do as I say and not as I do" kind of um, idea that we're raised on the ideology that we're brought into. And I just want to offer to you guys, like, it's okay to take time after all of those years, 18 years of being who your parents and the public and your teachers and your friends and all these folks have wanted you to be or thought that you should be. It takes time to come into your true self. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time. And you have to, it's, and it's ongoing. It's something that never stops. The work that you do on yourself is something that will never stop. And you just got to be committed to yourself. You've got to be willing to be committed to that work because at the end of the day, when you lie down in your bed, when they put you in your casket, it's just going to be you. That's it. You have to be okay with who you are above how anybody else feels about you. And it takes time just to come to being, come to being. Um, Dr. Jamie's been talking about doing versus being, and it just takes a while, some time to just come into being. 
Yeah. I just appreciate you guys. I see Reverend Marco is back on. Thank you to our viewers for spending time with us. Guys, this is the holiday season. Let's focus on what we have and, and not what we have lost. Um, have conversations. Lean on God in a different way. Lean on his hands and feet. That's what we're here for. The team of folks that's around you in your life, um, take time to spend time with God so that he can give you the direction. I appreciate you guys allowing me to host this event. This has been a blast. I'm going to hand it back over to Reverend McNeil. Wow. Um, um, just just wow, really. Um, um, wow. So yeah, it's 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 really hard to find the words, honestly, um, of the impact that this has had. Um, and I say that because when I started tonight, when you know my phone throughout the day was about you know halfway, my battery life was about halfway. My phone is about to die because of all of the messages that I received. Um, from individuals who are listening. And I've had so many requests for a part two. I have had requests for group sessions. I have had a number of requests that have come to my phone wow. that myself and the Kaya team will begin to mull over and to think about. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, a, a part two of this would be great. And we'll discuss that uh, some other time. But, you know, to, Jay, Dr. Nelson, Dr. Jay, Lakeisha, thank you all for um, agreeing to be a part of this and to have this very timely discussion. And uh, just to let you know, you know, the impact that this has had, you know, um, I, I won't share any names, but someone reached out to me um, who has been dealing with grief for the last 40 years. The last 40 years and just now felt the time to cry and, and let some of it go. That's the impact that this conversation had. So to say thank you is, is not really enough um, because I can't say thank you um, for all of the lives that have been impacted tonight. Um, but for myself personally, um, thank you all for your time, um, for your thoughtful words that I can tell you will definitely go a long way and will definitely stick with me um, for quite some time. I'm thankful that I wasn't on screen because I was over here throwing my hands and all types of stuff um, just because of the impact. Um, so thank you all. Um, to our Kaya family that has watched us, thank you. Um, for being a part of this discussion. Uh, we do not take your time for granted. Um, so we thank you for watching. Um, I want to leave you all with just a few announcements. Um, uh, I know that some of our panelists have podcasts and things going on. Uh, I know Dr. Nelson has um, just a thought podcast that um, she does with a former college a classmate, just a thought. Um, I know Dr. Edie um, is currently is still working as a death doula. I know that there is a book somewhere down in there festering um, outside of your book of poetry. I, I got that, too. But I know that there is a book somewhere down in there and I'm waiting on it. I'm waiting on it. Uh, so just know that we're looking for that. And I will gladly promote that uh, when it comes. Um, but um, I, I also want to um, share that um, tonight at 815 
Um, soon as we hop off of here, many of us are going to be a little bit late. I hope Dr. Scott will not be too upset with us, but dial in and join us uh, to a quick 15 uh, with the pastor. He shares a devotional um, and then prays with us. Um, uh, the number has just been shown on the screen. Uh, so please be sure to join us and then join us uh, tomorrow night uh, as we get ready to close out our revival season with Thankful Thursdays. Um, our preacher for tonight will be none other than Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown um, from New Jersey. And she is a powerful preacher when I tell you. Um, so be ready. Uh, join us tomorrow night. Join us tonight. Um, and we really hope um, that something has been said uh, tonight that will help aid you along the way. Uh, keep your eyes and ears open. There will be another conversation coming. I'm not going to give it a time frame, uh, but just know that there is another conversation coming uh, because of the nature of this. Um, an hour was a lot of time, but as you can see, we needed just a few more minutes uh, to get some of those final thoughts in, but we don't want those to be final thoughts. We want everybody um, to continue to go through this process and let you know that you're not going through this process together. Uh, with all hearts and minds composed, um, I am going to pray that I want everybody to head over to Quick 15 with the pastor. Um, let us bow. Uh, eternal and gracious God, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your manifest presence. Uh, we thank you for showing yourself mighty and showing yourself strong as only we know you know how. Um, so God, as we are getting ready to depart from this call, but never from your presence, um, grant us all peace uh, and keep us all, keep us, keep our slumber safe um, so that whatever may happen, we make sure that we will rest with you. Um, God, we know that, um, that this is not the end of this. Um, we know that this is not the end of grief, uh, but God, we trust that you are with us. Uh, we know that you will see us and guide us through. Uh, we thank you for every panelist. We thank you for our pastor, the Reverend Dr. Robert C. Scott, uh, and the vision for this conversation. God, we love you, we trust you, and we adore you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, family. We'll see you soon.